Okay, Beth Girl listeners, this is podcast six of Lyme disease. And what we're going to do in this last podcast is to review three clinical cases. You can't get race CE approval until you get the right answers for the case management of these three cases. Just kidding. When in doubt, make sure that you've listened to podcasts one through five on Lyme disease. In podcast one, we talk about transmission, pathophysiology, and testing. In podcast two of Lyme disease, we discuss clinical signs and manifestations of both acute and chronic Lyme disease. In podcast three, we discuss to treat or not to treat the use of antibiotic therapy and some potential rare side effects that we can see with antibiotic therapy. In podcast four, we start the first part of treatment of Lyme nephritis, including fluid therapy with both crystalloids and colloids and gastrointestinal support. And in podcast five, we bring it home when it comes to treatment of the Lyme nephritis patient with the use of antihypertensives, ACE inhibitors for proteinuria treatment, nutritional support, and anticoagulant therapy. We also discuss prevention, including monthly tick control, daily tick removal, and vaccination. For case one, we're going to discuss Molson, a seven-year-old male cash rate American pit bull who's 25 kigs, totally healthy otherwise, and he's up to date on vaccines and on seasonal preventative. He lives in Philadelphia and hikes with his owner in parks. And on routine heartworm screening on a 40X, it reveals that he is Lyme positive. When you get a history from the pet owner, there's no historical findings of lameness or arthritis. And in fact, Molson runs with the owner three miles twice a week along the Schuylkill River in downtown Philadelphia. So what's your plan? When in doubt, we want to get a urine dipstick. We want to make sure that this Lyme-positive dog doesn't have any evidence of proteinuria or even microalbuminuria. Ultimately, because he's seven years of age, we can certainly offer routine standard of care for general health screening, so a complete blood count, a chemistry, a UA, and urine dipstick. The key thing to remember about interpreting a urine dipstick is remember that the urine albumin must be at least greater than 30 mg per deciliter to be detected on a traditional dipstick. You can always consider doing a microalbuminuria test to detect levels less than 30 mg per deciliter. Thankfully, Molson's urine dipstick was negative. So in his situation, while he's Lyme positive, he's asymptomatic and urine dipstick protein negative. So in my opinion, no treatment is necessary. That said, it's still really important to discuss preventative care with the pet owner. It's important to reiterate to the owner that Molson has definitely been exposed to Borrelia in that he has a positive C6 which is consistent with natural exposure and, or infection. And so important to reiterate appropriate repellent therapy, discussing whether or not to vaccinate Molson if he's high risk, especially in an endemic area like Pennsylvania, to make sure that tick combing is done daily to look for the presence of ticks, especially after hiking or exposure. Ultimately, if the owner's concerned, I will discuss antibiotic therapy. But again, even though it's a positive test, because Molson's asymptomatic and has a negative urine dipstick, I really don't think treatment is necessary. Remember, you can play your odds. 70 to 90% of dogs in endemic areas are positive, but less than 5% actually go on to show clinical signs. An important statistic to review with your pet owner. For the second case, we're going to discuss Nikki, a four-year-old female spade German short hair pointer who's 25 kigs. She's totally healthy, up-to-date, and on flea and tick preventative. But she has a two-day history of acute lameness in the right rear limb. A year ago, she had a similar incident after she went to doggy daycare. 
Systemically, Nikki looks fine otherwise, and there's no abnormalities on physical exam except for equivocal right cruciate laxity. So what's part of our plan? Well, first of all, we have to rule out certain causes of lamenesses. We need to rule out inflammatory causes like immune-mediated polyarthritis, systemic lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, or other causes such as degenerative joint disease, trauma, neoplasia, or even orthopedic lesions. In Nikki's situation, we offered a IDEX SNAP 40X, a chemistry, and a urine protein dipstick to the pet owner. Depending on what our results showed, we would consider either an NSAID trial with rest, radiographs, or even a course of doxycycline. So let's see what our results came back as. For Nikki, Nikki tested positive for Lyme and actually tested positive on a urine dipstick. So we ended up submitting a UPC of which it came back as greater than one of concern. In this situation, do we want to screen her by submitting a quantitative C6? Well, ultimately, I always ask, is it going to change our therapy today? I think it's important to get a baseline, especially if the owner's concerned. Because we know quantitative C6 levels do drop more rapidly with treatment with antibiotics, and does seem to correlate with circulating immune complexes also. I'd recommend rechecking as quantitative C6 levels in approximately six months. And again, important because it may change your therapy or how long you're going to continue treatment for. Just remember, C6 levels stay high for a long time because Borrelia hides in the body for a long time. In this situation, we decide to treat Nikki with doxycycline, 200 mg in the morning, 100 mg in the evening for one month, Remember, she should respond quickly within one to three days of implementation of doxycycline therapy. And if she doesn't respond, then we want to rule out other underlying disease. At this time, we do not recommend vaccinating her with Lyme because she's already symptomatic. In Nikki's situation, we have to make sure that appropriate follow-up occurs. With this pet owner, we're going to reiterate the importance of urine protein dipsticks every three to six months, potentially repeating a quantitative C6 antibody in six months, and most importantly, aggressive prevention. So making sure that the owner is appropriately tick combing and using an appropriate flea and tick medication. The last case I wanted to talk about is Dakota, a two-year-old, 30-kilogram, male-intact hunting Labrador from Minnesota. Dakota's previously healthy, up-to-date, and on preventative medication, but is presenting to you for a four- to five-day history of decreased appetite, which progresses to anorexia for one day, mild weight loss for the past two to three weeks, and vague clinical signs of vomiting two to three times a week for the previous two to three weeks. Upon further history taking, the owner reports that Dakota has been sore after hunting earlier this fall. On physical exam, Dakota is 7% dehydrated, depressed, has a 3 out of 9 body condition score, has mild edema in the hocks, is slightly tachycardic with a heart rate of 160, is panting with increased bronchovesicular sounds, is muscle wasted, has a non-painful abdomen, and no palpable bladder. So instantly, I'm worried based on some of the clinical signs consistent with Lyme nephritis, that this dog has a chronic manifestation of Lyme disease. Based on preliminary blood work, Dakota's anemic, hypoproteinemic, azotemic, hyperkalemic, hypoalbuminemic, hypocalcemic, and isosinuric. Dakota also has a presence of CAS, mild hematuria, and 4-plus proteinuria on urinalysis with a UPC of greater than 2. And in this situation, Dakota's 4D X-SNAP positive for Lyme disease. 
Unfortunately, on Dakota's problem list, we have hyperproteinemia, which most likely is due to protein-losing nephropathy, but don't forget to rule out PLE, liver failure, blood loss, and effusion. We know Dakota is also azotemic, consistent with PLN, but again, we want to rule out congenital causes such as renal dysplasia, nephrotoxicants such as grapes, raisins, NSAIDs, or ethylene glycol. And part of our diagnostic plan is going to include coagulation testing, potentially testing for hypercoagulability, and doing that abdominal ultrasound to look for evidence of immune-mediated glomerulonephritis or even structural disease or congenital disease. Treatment for Dakota is going to include judicious crystalloid fluid therapy, colloid fluid therapy, gastrointestinal support, the use of ACE inhibitors to minimize severity of proteinuria, nutritional support, and low-dose aspirin, antihypertensives as needed. For a review of treatment, check out podcasts four and five on Lyme disease for more information. So when it comes to Lyme disease, make sure to appropriately educate owners on the importance of prevention. Again, using a flea and tick preventative, making sure to tick comb, considering vaccination in high-risk dogs in endemic areas, and most importantly, clinical follow-up with veterinarians to make sure that they're being screened appropriately. In other words, in dogs that do test Lyme positive, simply bringing in a urine sample, ideally the first morning urine sample, which is the most concentrated, to look for the presence of proteinuria at least two to four times a year in patients that test positive for Lyme. And hopefully by increasing our awareness and aggressive treatment of canine patients, we can help prevent the devastating complications of Lyme nephritis albeit rare.